0: Welcome to the Renew Life Church Podcast. No matter what situation we find ourselves facing, we know that God wants to speak clearly to us. So wherever you're listening from today, we want to thank you for being here. Grab a cup of coffee and join us as we tune into our Sunday conversation. Well, welcome to 2021 have lots of things I could say about 2020, but we'll just say welcome to 2021. 20 to so, uh, super glad you're here with us tonight. Uh, for those of you who are just kind of new to uh, our church and maybe new to this environment, maybe even new to some of the things you've already seen here uh, tonight, I, look, can I just say we're one of those churches that just believes the Bible, and if the Bible says you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, well, our part's not the recovery part. Our job's the lay hands-on part. His job's the recovery part, and so we're just uh, we're just crazy enough, some would say stupid enough at times, to believe that God's Word is true. It works, and it works all the time, and if it doesn't work this time, it'll work next time. If it doesn't work this time, it doesn't work next time. I don't know when the miracle's going to happen. I don't know when the breakthrough's going to happen, but we're going to keep on believing until it does, because that's what His Word promises us. Amen? I I, I don't want to get to heaven, and that's something that's been really big on my heart lately It's just... Just the reality that I will someday stand before my creator. We're going to see him. It's not just a story to tell your kids in Sunday school. It is a reality. We will see our father. We will see Jesus. And just like when he uh, appeared to the disciples after the death, we too shall see the, the holes in his hands. And I do not want to be one of those that said, I just believed you this much. I went after you this much. I want everything about my life in any way possible to say, hey, I went for everything that you told me I could go after. I didn't waste one single page of that Bible. Not one single page that I said, yeah, we believed this when we were down there, but we didn't believe this. I want all of it. And, and my well-done and good and faithful servant doesn't come because I performed. My well-done, good and faithful servant comes because I received Jesus. I'm not performing to get to heaven, but when I get there, and even before I get there, I want Him to get everything that is due Him, the glory that is due Him. When people get out of wheelchairs, He receives the glory. When sickness is healed, I don't get the glory, you don't get the glory, he gets the glory. We're not here trying to get glory. We're here trying to give him the glory that is due him. And so if there's anything that we can do as a church that gives him more of it, that's what we're for, amen? Amen. So we're really glad you're here. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter two. We're gonna jump right into it. Um, I am, um, I'm gonna spend the next 30 minutes or so on a talk called, Who's First? Who's First? I typically don't, uh, I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of guy. I don't use the first of the year typically to do some type of a resolution. I I, I think in terms of seasons, uh, I try to pay very close attention to the seasons that God has us in, but I'll just be honest with you. I feel like this year, uh, the season is actually colliding with the first of this year. There's some unique things about this year uh, first are, are very important to me. I don't know how many of you have ever heard the study on redemptive gifts or know much about the redemptive gifts. Every single person in this room, you have one. They're found in Romans chapter 12. You can look those up, and there's even some tests online. I've even passed one out in the four year here today already uh, or sent somebody to a link. But you were, you were given, um, when you came to earth, you were given a piece of God to reflect on this earth. Uh, Is the best way I know to say it. That's your redemptive gift. It's the Christ gift. It's the thing that Christ is that you're called to reflect. And uh, of all those gifts, uh, one of the the first one I actually mentioned in scripture is actually redemptive gift prophet. I personally am a redemptive gift prophet. I'm not a fivefold office prophet, but I'm a redemptive gift prophet, and that is associated with the number one. So you can go back and even study all the lists of sevens, and even in creation, the first day of creation. Uh, aligns with the redemptive gift of prophecy. So I'm very, very drawn to firsts. I'm very, very drawn to the beginning of things. I love reading uh, Genesis. I love reading God's original creation. I feel like it says so much to us about what, uh, what God had in, plan- in store for us, how he planned our lives to look go back, by going back and looking at first. Well, in Acts chapter 2, what you have is the formation of the first new covenant church. Jesus had died, he had risen again, and he had reappeared to the disciples and was reappearing on multiple occasions. But in one instance, he reappeared to the disciples and said, look, it's the last thing he actually said before he actually left the planet once and for all. He said, and don't forget, do not leave, do not leave this place until the Holy Spirit comes. How many of you guys remember that? And so he says, don't leave, don't leave without... The Holy Spirit. That's why we say around here, if it was good enough for the disciples, it's good enough for us. Don't go into ministry. Don't go into the workplace. For some of you, your ministry is your workplace. Don't go anywhere without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And He tells the disciples, "Don't leave until He comes." And so, when He comes, uh, there's the story of you know they, they filled the upper room, or they were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came like a rushing, mighty wind. And uh, it says when they came, they began to speak in tongues and such that everyone that heard them, well, some, some of the more believing people, would, they heard them, they heard the disciples in their own language, and they were just baffled that they were hearing people speak in their languages. And so, uh, but there were others that said they were mocking, mocking the disciples and said, no, nah, no, nah, they're just drunk. They just had a few too many drinks. And uh, I think I'm stepping on a cord here. Mute that one. Um, and so he says, now that some were saying, oh, they've just had too many drinks. And what's funny is Peter gets up and he preaches the first message on, under the influence, under the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, I just think it's funny that he tells them, one of the first things he tells them is like, look, they're not drunk. It's way too early in the day. Later on, who knows? Come back later. We all might be drunk. <laughs> he said, it's way too early in the day for that. But then Peter preaches the first message under the power of the Holy Spirit, and those who responded to that were the first New Testament, New Covenant believers. Those who heard the message that Peter preached responded and gave their life to the Lord. He said, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so it says that there were 3,000 people that gave their life to the Lord that day. And so... What we have here is the first New Testament church. Now, what's different from them and us right now is the fact that they didn't have a Bible to tell them what the church was supposed to look like. They didn't have a book. They didn't have scriptures. They did, the, this was new. This was brand new. They had just heard the, for the very first time the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of love, the preaching of grace, the preaching of Jesus. And so they, when they responded to Jesus and became the first church, what you find, everything that they did, it was a natural response, a natural response to, is it the mic? Must have been. There we go. What, what you see there is not what they were trained to do. When they formed this church, that's not, oh, okay, this is what now we're believers, now we're Christians, now we're a church, this is what we're supposed to do next. Most of us in here, we grew up where we knew what church was supposed to look like, right? We kind of knew, our parents were in it, we had seen it done, there was a way that it was done, and heaven forbid, be one of those people that doesn't do it the way everybody else is doing it. But see, these disciples didn't have that. They didn't have, there was no model there. So what you see in this first church is what I believe is, the natural response to the gospel. This is, the, this is supposed to be the natural, organic response when we hear grace, when we hear truth, when we really hear the gospel as it was intended to be preached. This is supposed to be here in Acts chapter 2. This is a the, the organic response, the natural response to the gospel. Let me read this here in verse verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now I've preached on this passage of scripture actually quite a few times in uh, most of the time, my focus has been on uh, the devotion that they had to the apostles' teaching, uh, the, the, the fellowship that they had. Uh, really excited to get ready to relaunch our home churches in February, get those back going, getting together in homes. They were devoted to meat-breaking bread, having meals with each other, fellowship, also devoted to prayer. I've taught on those things before. But today, I want to talk about two things I've actually never talked about, uh, at least in context of this passage of Scripture, two other things that were mentioned that were a an automatic, organic response to the preaching of the gospel, and that is these two things. Number one, reverence, and number two, selflessness. Reverence and selflessness. Reverence, it says, in great Fear came upon every soul. Now, the Bible tells us God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, so we have to understand that this word fear here is not talking about being terrified, don't go near him, you never know what he's going to do, lightning bolt from the sky, not that kind of fear, but an overwhelming reverence to him. That was one of the things that came over. and It was a natural response. They hear the preaching of love. They hear the preaching of grace. They hear the preaching of truth. They hear the preaching of Jesus, and naturally, a reverence came upon them, an honor came upon them. And the second thing is selflessness. Without hearing a scripture, without, in fact, if you go back and look, Peter didn't say one thing about giving any money. Peter didn't say one thing about selling your possessions and giving them away. There there was no mention of that in the first message. In fact, there's no indication that anybody even talked about it at all. What happened was a natural heart response came and said, look, we is more important than me, just naturally. They heard the gospel. The love of God was shed abroad in their heart. And all of a sudden, me was not nearly as important as we. The value of we was born in their hearts. And so I just wanna, I wanna talk about this because that's what I actually believe, that these are two natural things. These should come naturally to us. These are the natural, not the taught, but the natural responses to the preaching of, of Jesus. And I honestly, I'll just be honest with you. I think this is a call as the church by the Lord, to come back to our first love, come back to some things where this impact can happen. In fact, I I propose if we go back to our first love, we will be more selfless and we will be more reverent. If we'll kind of get back to the way things started, in fact, Jesus said this, or or the the Apostle John actually said this in Revelation chapter 2, it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus right. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and then you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. How many of you guys will be okay if the Lord said this about you? <laughs> He's, he's complimenting this church. He's saying, man, you guys, you guys got some stuff figured out. You're doing some stuff right. I'm super proud of you. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your, you've left your first love. Can I just say this? It's, a, it's, it's possible to be doing really, really good and still forgetting something really, really important. Just know that. He said, look, I'm gonna tell you right now, you guys are, so many ways, you are crushing it. You are crushing it, but I need you to go back to your first love. I need you to go back to some things. And I propose that these two things that we're talking about tonight, reverence and selflessness are two things that we need to go back and make sure, we make sure we don't go anywhere without those things. Those are supposed to be natural when you hear Jesus. Natural, natural. Number one, reverence, fear. You know, reverence is one of those things that if I'm just being honest with you, Reverence has been steadily losing its umph over the years, especially in this culture. We've lost, uh, and I'll just be really, really honest with you, even studying this out, I was like, man, this one's hurting my feelings. I was noticing a couple of areas in my own life where I was like, mm, you might want to go look at that. <laughs> It's just real easy. That's why, the world, that's why the Bible tells us don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He tells us don't be conformed because it's very possible to love Jesus and inadvertently be being conformed, not to Jesus, but to the world. It's losing its, its oomph, it's, it's losing some things. Reverence for authority is almost gone. Reverence for elders. Reverence and honor for moms and dads. Reverence for sacred things in scripture. You know, virginity is supposed to be a sacred thing in scripture. And our culture is trying to rip that sacred thing right out and say, it's actually not as holy. It's actually not as reverent as people say it is. What people? (laughs) Because this Bible doesn't say that. And so because we've removed the reverence from a very sacred, very holy act, we are seeing the destruction of the relationship between men and women. Marriages. I wrote this down. It it, it helped me see it uh, maybe in a powerful way. When you lose reverence, you start living loose. Just think about that. One of If you ask yourself, how, how do I know I'm, if I'm, am I'm living reverent, if I'm living in that fear of the Lord or, or if, I'm, if, if I'm missing some stuff, just ask yourself, are you, are you starting to live loose? Here's one that you'll hear people say, well, that's just not that big of a deal. Is it? And it may not be. I think we're notorious for sometimes making big deals about things that are not the big deal. I know people, man, they wouldn't dare touch a drop of alcohol but they wouldn't think twice about talking about a Christian brother behind their back. Oh, I, I can't believe you posted a glass of wine on Instagram, <laughs> sipping saint. So they, they love jumping on that kind of stuff and then publicly sowing discord among the brethren. Let's just, make you know, again. I'm not saying not all, I'm not trying to get it all said today, but it's like, I, I, I think it's, we gotta be careful sometimes we say that this is not a big deal. And, and let me clean something up right quick. I'm not saying you should drink. You should do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. You do what he tells you to do. And for a lot of people, he's saying, no, there are things in my life. No, you just don't touch them. Well, are they okay for other people? I don't know. I'm not their Holy Spirit. I know what God told me. The Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you want to start feeling God more as a father, start listening to him for your conviction, not them for your conviction. You got to do what he tells you to do. But there are some things that he's told us all to do. So stop saying it's not a big deal, sleeping with your boyfriend, sleeping with your girlfriend, having, stop saying it's not a big deal. We're going to get married anyway. Man, I'll tell you, that's the one too. And I don't know why I'm on this one tonight. But it's one of those, that's real easy. If you've ever been there, if there's ever been something you wanted to justify, it's that one. Oh Lord, I'm married in my heart. Can we, And maybe we should stop pretending we know all the reasons why we should do it. Sometimes you need to say, you know, I don't know why it's that important. But if the Bible says it's important, then I say it's important. Sometimes we we start to drift in reverence when we start trying to say, well, if I can figure it out, I'll do it. If I can understand why it's so important, then maybe I'll do it. If I don't understand it, if I can't figure it out, maybe it's not that big of a deal. No, maybe you're just not that smart yet. And maybe you don't know everything. And maybe the Lord's saying, hey, I just want to see before I give you understanding if you'll do it before you have understanding so that I'll know if you trust me or your brain. Which one do you trust more? That was fun. (laughs) When you start to lose reverence, things that are supposed to be black and white all of a sudden get really gray. And I know that there's a lot of things in scripture that, man, it it can get gray if you're not careful. I I get that. But there are some things that there is no gray. And when you start to lose reverence, you start trying to blend black and white to get the gray that you want, the gray that you need, the gray that seems, seems to support where you're at right now instead of the black and white that forces you to change and leave the Bible alone. When you start to drift away from reverence, discipline and correction start to decline. I know this was not the intent of the Lord and I know it was not the intent or I believe it was not the intent of most people that have been preaching or that preach about the grace of God. But one of the things that you, if you're not careful in the preaching of the grace of God and the preaching of the goodness of God, you'll actually preach against the Father God. Because there's this thing that's happened where it's like, well, hang on. There can't be any discipline if there can't be any correction. there can't even be any pain if grace is true. I propose to you that the, the story of the prodigal son, hear me on this, the story of the prodigal son is also about a father. The father in the story is our heavenly father. We represent one, if not both at times, of the, of the sons. Now, my question to you is when did the father run to the son? When he was in pain or when he was in repentance? Sometimes, we just need to understand that the, the, our Heavenly Father, He's not afraid of pain sometimes. Sometimes that pain is producing something in us that we may not understand and know why we need it now, but He knows the end from the beginning. We don't. So sometimes the things that we're going through, the things He's leading us through, the Bible says one of the first things that the Spirit of God did to Jesus was lead Him into the wilderness. <laughs> It led him, the Spirit of God led Jesus, the Son Jesus, into pain. We start drifting from reverence when we start trying to remove discipline and correction. We stop thinking that our spiritual leaders are supposed to, every now and then, introduce just a little bit of pain. One that's driving me nuts these days is we completely remove discipline and correction from our children, and we're too busy trying to be their friend instead of their father. They, I'm trying. Um, (laughs) Discipline and correction is actually very necessary. I've recently come out of a season where some of the most pain I've ever experienced in my life because I didn't do what the Lord told me to do in a certain situation. And it wasn't physical pain either. I think we'd all agree physical pain sometimes is not anything compared to emotional pain. And Ben, I'm telling you, I, there, a couple, starting a couple of years ago, I went through some stuff where I'm like, man, cuss word, whichever everyone's your favorite. <laughs> this sucks. And, and over time, the Lord showed me how he allowed certain things to happen because of my disobedience. He said, you're just dealing with this because you didn't believe the word I gave you. You didn't do the word I told you as a son, I'm not going to do that no more. Did you know that that's what happens? If it hurts bad enough, you won't do that no more. Some of you, I can watch how you give your kids swats and I'm like, oh, they're going to do that again. That was, that was ineffective. Let me, let me cruise on, because uh, I've got so many things I want to actually tell you. Um, and when you start drifting away from reverence, obedience suddenly becomes optional, did you know that that's actually the Great Commission? Go into all the world and teach them to obey. Obedience is actually still a part of the New Covenant. Sometimes, we, here's how we know we we revere the Word, or we're in reverence of God, or in reverence of the Word. We just obey. I'll know when people have honor for us as as spiritual leaders. At times, as as a parent, I can watch my kids when when, and when they respond to an instruction. If they just obey, I know they're walking in honor. I can tell sometimes they don't understand, but I'll know they're in honor and in reverence if they obey, even when they don't understand. Simply put, just ask yourself the question: How's your reverence going? How's it going? You don't need me to tell you what you need to be more reverent of. You need to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit and you need to ask him, what's that thing that's prop, popping up on the inside of you? What's that thought that's coming to your mind right now? Like, ooh, that, that could use some attention. It's supposed to be a natural, organic response to Jesus. It's, that's what it's supposed to be. Um, I'm gonna skip ahead. I, you know I don't know if you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, but in this moment when the first church was being born, some people, it says they were selling all their stuff and giving it to, uh, laying at the apostles' feet. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they went and sold some land and didn't lay all of it at the disciples' feet. They just laid some of it. But the problem was is they were trying to look like somebody else who gave it all. So it wasn't that they were, you know, just bold-faced telling a lie. They were, in fact, the scripture says, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You could have done whatever you wanted with that money, but you tried to be a put-on. And if you know the story, in that moment, it says that they both fell dead. Ananias says, if I were both, at different times, both fell dead after being called out on this lie. Now, there's not another place in Scripture that I know of where someone told a lie and just, boom, fell flat dead right, right away. So what was so different about the season? I just proposed to you that there are times, particularly in the beginning stages of things, in the foundation of things, things matter more. It just matters more. I believe that's where we're at as a church. I believe we're in the beginning of a new season where things matter more. And the Lord's saying, hey, enough of that. You ever tell your kids that? Hey, that's enough of that. It's like one word, enough of that. I think that's what the Lord is saying in some ways. And I'm, I'm, you want transparency. I'm being honest with you. My wife and I are dealing with some stuff. I'm going to see, I've even got a therapist now. I never thought it'd be a day where I got a therapist. I'm like, somebody needs to help me figure out what's going on up there sometimes. And But here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm allowing people to speak into my life because it's not the time for that. It's not the time for wrong belief. It's not the time for some of those things to be continually staying in my life. I want free. I want clean. I want to move into this new season, the best version of me that I can possibly be. And just because I get to hold the mic on Sunday nights doesn't mean I got it all figured out. It's just a time and a season where we say, okay, Lord, you search my heart. I'm surrounding myself with community. I'm surrounding myself with the word. I'm surrounding myself with experts saying, hey, I'm an open book. I'm not, how I behave is not my identity. My identity is in Christ but I need to get this behavior cleaned up a little bit so that I can say like, Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Some of you, you could not say that. You just say, hey, y'all follow Christ. Don't follow me. Some of you, that's how you raise your kids. Listen to what that pastor said. Do what he said. They need to be doing what you're doing and what you're saying. All right, we're moving on. Number two, selflessness. I'm gonna cruise through this one because I've just got a couple minutes left says they sold their possessions and goods and divided among them all. It was a natural response to the gospel for we to become more important than me. It was a natural response to the gospel for his house to become more important than their house. And we need to think about that. His house became more important than their house. And it's a heart issue. It's not an act issue. It's not an amount issue. It's a heart issue. We all know the story of the widow's might, She gave the smallest offering of the day and that's the one that Jesus said, now that's a good offering. That's a good one. It's not about the amount and at times it's not even about the act but it is about the heart and can I just say this and I'm just, please hear me because this is, this is black and white. What you do with your money tells me how you feel about God. Period. Take it one step further. What you do with your money first tells me if God is first in your life. It's just, that's Bible. Bible says where your treasure is, there also is your heart. One and the same. I will know where your heart is, just show me the bank account. It was supposed to be a natural response to Jesus to say, no, no, your house is more important than my house. So if you hadn't gotten there yet, I propose, have you gotten all of what Jesus came to give you? If there's still parts of you that you're holding back something that's his, and and can I just say, this this is the Garden of Eden. I told you I love studying the beginning of things, Genesis. Jesus always says, there's this one thing that you don't get to touch. In the Garden of Eden, all this stuff, but you don't get to touch that tree. And what is the nature of humanity? Touch the tree you're not supposed to touch also known as spend the money that's not yours in the first place. The first 10% belongs to God. I heard Jimmy, or Robert Moore say this the other day. I love this. There are two things you can do with the tithe. You can either bring it or steal it. There's no in between. You will either be someone who brought something to God or stole something from God. That's it. There is no C. There is not another option. let's just land the plane right here um can I just say this it's not just about bringing God an offering any offering Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 says now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and she said I have acquired a man from the Lord then she bore again this time his brother Abel now Abel was the keeper of sheep but Cain was the tiller of ground now, first, pay close attention to this because this is the first offering in history. This is setting a standard. Again, these first matter. It says, "In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering." Say that. Say an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn. Say first. Cain brought an offering. Abel brought the first. Cain brought what was left over as long as he got his deer lease paid for, his new navigator paid for, his hot tub put in that he always wanted, his trip to Puerto Vallarta. And then after that, he gave the Lord an offering. But Abel brought the first and said, Lord, if I get that navigator, If I get that hot tub, if I get that trip to Puerto Vallarta, it'll be because you bless the 90 because I gave you the first. It's just about what do you trust? Who's your trust in? And who do you honor the most? uh, I've wanted to do this for a long time. And let me just say this, because this just adds some weight to it and then I'll close right here. Did you know that Jesus was called the first fruit of God, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. but now Christ is risen from, from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, even God activated this principle. He gave his first so he could inherit this. He gave his first. He gave his best. And just like Jesus, the father did the same for the joy set before him. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. The Father, for the joy set before him, endured the pain of watching his son die because he saw you. He saw the promise of you. He saw the promise of a full house in heaven and said, I have, I have an opportunity to give my best and inherit more than I could ever dream of. Sons and daughters everywhere. I've been wanting to do this for a while, but... Um, This year, we're going to start taking up, this will be the first year we do it. We're going to do it every year. We're going to start taking up a first fruits offering every year. Uh, I'm talking about it today, but we're going to take this offering up on February the 7th. And I'm just going to ask you, this this is not about the tithe. You can't sow something that doesn't belong to you. So just hear my heart on this. I'm not asking you to bring your tithe on February the 7th. That, you can't give another man stuff. I mean, I can. I, if if Neil were to hand me his keys right now, I, I can't say, hey, anybody want a motorcycle or anybody want a truck? No, that's not my keys to give away. Them's, those are his keys. The only thing I can do with those keys is return them to Neil. That 10%, you cannot plant that. You cannot give that away. You can return that to God. But after that, you can sow a seed. After that, you can bring... A first fruit. And I'm just going to ask everyone to just begin to pray. Ask the Lord what he'd have you do on First Fruit Sunday, February the 7th. Uh, very quick, very quickly, we've done this before. You say, what's, the fir- what's it going to go towards? Every bit of this is going to go towards planting our first church there in Lubbock, or our first new church, I should say, there in Lubbock. We're starting sooner rather than later. Uh, we had a plan. God sped it up. And we're actually launching the Lubbock campus every single week, every single Sunday on March the 7th. So because that sped up so quickly, we, it, this is very uh, important that we see some increase there, even financially, to get this church going uh, the best that we possibly can. And so that's what this First Fruits offering is going to go towards. Uh, the Lord's, Since I've moved to Lubbock, the Lord spoke to me, and I've hinted to this, but I want to just let you know um, In a a very interesting conversation, the Lord Lord actually revealed to me that there'll be seven cities that the Lord's called us to plant in. Obviously, we're already in Midland, and the second one is is Lubbock. But after that, there are seven other cities. I've even got a map. Uh, We will eventually have churches in Amarillo, Wichita Falls, Abilene, Odessa, and Roswell as well. And and Lubbock will be the center center point, the hub, if you will, uh, of all of these churches. And so uh, several years ago, we, were, we needed this building several years ago, and we activated this principle that I'm talking to you about today. And I said, hey, instead of putting our house first, let's put somebody else's house first. And we took up an offering for somebody else's house, even when we, somebody else's church, when we didn't even have a building. And in one Sunday, $120,000 came in to give away to somebody else, $120,000. 12 year, or I'm sorry, twelve months, one year almost to the day, we took up an offering for this building and $1.2 million came in in one Sunday. So the, the building you're sitting in only exists because we activated the principle of seed time and harvest. We sowed a seed. And I, I can't tell you what sowing a seed into Lubbock or even in some of these other future campuses, that's right now the Lubbock is the only one. I only showed you that other... Uh, those other cities I want you to begin to pray be praying over those cities we're going to be releasing some more information about that but just be begin to pray begin to seek God pray over what God's called us to do Uh, but then also pray about what you'd have you do in phase one step one planting this church in Lubbock and putting somebody else's house above your own we've already got a building so I can't imagine how God might reward each of us but I know he will I know that he will. So I'm just gonna ask you to begin to pray and seek the Lord. February 7th will be First Fruits Sunday and we'll take up an offering uh, for the Lubbock campus to launch that church on, on March the 7th. Thanks for tuning in today. You can stay connected with Renew Life Church by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting our website at www.renewlifechurch.com. We love you and hope you feel encouraged from this message today.